0: Gracious God, the songwriter sings of situations that are drawing us deeper into our relationship with you, deeper into the journey of faith, deeper into what it means to know you, to trust you, and to live in response to you. Particularly this morning as we start a new series where we're going to follow the story of someone who is on that kind of journey, I pray that we'd be open to what it looks like and be open to taking those steps. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, good morning. Good morning. My name is George Davis. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for making your way here. It's a little crowded on the streets this morning, so things going on in our community. So thank you for making this a part of your Sunday. I, too, just want to uh, thank you for your involvement in our community. Last week, you saw the pictures from our Beyond the Wall Sunday. I want to thank those of you that were able to be a part of that with us It was great to see, you know, 600 people going out, 40 different projects. And for me, ironically, one of the highlights did not come on Sunday, but on Monday. I was at our Trunk or Treat event in Harrisburg at the Downey Elementary School. We had 250-plus families from the community register at that event. And in addition to those families, we actually had some other guests, including the superintendent of the Harrisburg School District. And she and I, we had a great conversation. She was really curious about who we were. She just looked at me and said, now tell me again, who are you? And uh, so I got to explain to her why we were there, what motivated us to do, what we did. She took lots of pictures. She actually wanted to share with the school board. She just really found this interesting. And she, she concluded our conversation by saying this, I will have someone on my staff follow up with you. And sure enough, Monday afternoon, I got another call from the Harrisburg School District by one of the administrators in that district. And we just had a, we had a great conversation. As it turned out, she's also a follower of Christ and just was thrilled about what our church was doing in investing in this elementary school and the surrounding community. And we talked about what that looked like. And and she was just encouraging me, to you know, in different ways to say, you know, just be open to... You know, different things you can do, consider different ways in which you can invest in our community. She was just very supportive of that. And then she said this, and I quote, she said, you know, as the spirit leads. And I, (laughs) yeah, I know, I thought, oh, this is really interesting coming from a public school administrator taking me to the pages of scripture. But I thought that was just a perfect capstone to the weekend. Because it was a reminder that what we were doing as we went out on Sunday was just seeking to be attuned to the opportunities God gives us to live out the good news of Jesus Christ in tangible ways. That when you become a follower of Christ, when you become a recipient of his grace, you also become an agent of that grace. And that's what many of you experienced on Sunday, was just being intentional in doing that and seeking to be open to the opportunities God is giving us. So I want to thank you for being a part of that and just encourage you that... That While we do this on a particular Sunday, the goal isn't simply to do it on one Sunday. The goal is to be attuned to those opportunities so that it really becomes our way of life. Because that's the journey of following Jesus. That's part of it. So thank you again. Well, I already mentioned this, but this morning we're starting a new series in this little book in the Old Testament known as Habakkuk. So I'm going to invite you, if you've got a Bible, to join with me in turning to that book. It's a book that we describe as one of the minor prophets, and um, if you don't have a Bible, hopefully there's one in the pew rack in front of you, if you don't have it on in hard copy or on a mobile device. And as we come to this book, we're also, of course, kind of on the early stages of moving toward the Christmas season. For some of us that are planners, maybe you're already thinking about Christmas and already thinking about uh, what you plan to do during the holiday season, and I guess if you're like me, this this can be an energizing season of the year. It's an enjoyable season in some ways. For those of us who are followers of Christ, it really does give us an opportunity to come back to the good news of Christ, to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And, and, And building on that, it's also a season for friends, for family. It's a time that I think many people enjoy just because it can be filled with hope. I mean, this is a time of year when it feels like more people are attuned to serving others, to giving back to their communities, and those are hopeful times. And so this is, it's a season that can be encouraging, a season filled with hope. But here's the reality, in a group this size, even if you're a person that enjoys the Christmas season, for some of us, this may be a Christmas where you're already on track (laughs) to simply go through the motions. Have you ever had a Christmas like that? You know, you, you tend to be an upbeat person maybe, but just due to extenuating circumstances, due to things beyond your control, you go through Christmas and, and your heart's just not in it. You're at the parties, you come to the Christmas plays or the Christmas services, you're here New Year's Eve, but, but your heart is just not in it because of the things you're going through. For some of us, you've had those kinds of Christmases before, and, and for others of you here this morning, you might honestly say that if you know, if things don't change, that's probably what my Christmas is going to look like this year. So the question that we're going to begin asking as we come to this new series is this. So in those kinds of hard moments, how can you live with a sense of hope, Right? How can you have hope when hope seems hard? To help us answer these questions, we're going to look at the life, the story of of this character in the Old Testament, this prophet, Habakkuk. And as we work through this very short book, you're going to understand that his circumstances were confusing, frustrating, challenging, disappointing. In fact, his, his circumstances are such that, you know, in part of the book that bears his name, what we find is him complaining and questioning God. Yet by the end of the book, we realize this is, a, this is an individual who is learning to live in hope. And if you and I are willing to listen to his story, the truth is his story can become your story. If you're really willing to listen to to the story of this ancient prophet, you will discover it is possible to have hope even in places where hope seems hard. Now, to show you what I mean, let's let's now come to this uh, character known as Habakkuk. Let's come to his book. And uh, let me see if I can set up This book, by giving you a little broader context, I've got a visual aid this morning. If I can put it together properly. And uh, so when we come to the Old Testament, much of it is, right, the story of the nation of Israel. And, of course, one of the most famous seasons in the story of Israel was when Israel was actually a united country, one country. And we think about the kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, But at the end of Solomon's reign, there was political intrigue and division, and as a result of a lot of different factors, Israel became divided into two kingdoms with their own kings. And really, from that point on, you know, this part is known as the northern kingdom or Israel, and this part is known as the southern kingdom the kingdom of Judah, and when you read the historical narratives of the Old Testament, you'll, you'll read the different trajectories of these two nations. And the story of Israel, the story of the northern kingdom is a story that declines very quickly. It seems to be an ongoing cycle of poor leadership, of self-serving kings that uh, engage in idolatry, injustice, the manipulation of power, questionable international alliances. And, and so really, it's, it's a story of a fractured country, of a broken country. And as a result of this history, the, the, the northern com- kingdom, because of this fractured reality, eventually is conquered by the nation of Assyria, roughly 722 B.C. And so we're left with just, just this, the southern kingdom Judah. And the story of Judah is, is, is a slightly different story because there are corrupt kings in the history and the storyline. People doing the same thing as you see in Israel, the northern kingdom. But there are also good kings who seek to provide quality leadership, who seek to lead the nation in a direction that will lead to flourishing. And one of those good kings was a king by the name of Josiah. And from the early parts of his reign, it appeared like Israel would now enter a new season of flourishing. He appeared to have all the qualities necessary to lead the nation into a new season of greatness. But then he died on the battlefield. And very quickly, all of that positivity is lost. And so in a very short time, we see the nation under his son Jehoiakim, And now this nation is becoming fractured and broken. There's injustice. There's unhealthy religious practice. There's the abuse of power. And the clues in the book of Habakkuk say that this is where we pick up the story. This is where we get this brief look into Habakkuk's life in this season of the history of the nation. Now, as we come to the book, let me just... Kind of outline it. It's three chapters. Let me kind of just show you the way the opening two chapters flow. And we'll we'll actually just really look at chapter one this morning. So in in, in the midst of that brokenness, Habakkuk comes to God as a prophet with his complaint. (laughs) And we see that in the opening part of the book. And then then God answers. But as it turns out, the answer God gives is something that is totally unexpected to Habakkuk. It's deeply disappointing. And that just leads to a further complaint that Habakkuk brings to God. And then, once again, God answers. And we'll see more completely that second answer to Habakkuk's concerns uh, when we come to chapter 2 next week. But as the story opens, and let's now kind of dive into chapter 1. As the story opens, Habakkuk is asking God some hard questions. Look at verse 2 of of chapter 1. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not say, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him and the righteous so that justice is perverted. Now, once again, understand Habakkuk, the context of Habakkuk's prayer. Habakkuk is looking out at his. It is country, his culture, and this is what he sees. He sees fractured, he sees brokenness. He sees the abuse of power. He sees social injustice. He sees people in positions of wealth and influence abusing those who don't have it. He sees a justice system that isn't working. And he goes to God and he's been praying and he says, okay, God, how long? Why does it feel like you're silent? Why does it feel like you're absent? And underlying his prayer is this desire underlying his prayer is this I know we're living in this would you please take us back to this could we just get back to where we were could we get back to that season of flourishing that that I thought we were on the road to but then it all changed so that's Habakkuk's prayer and then God answers And to be honest with you, when God answers to Habakkuk, it feels like he just got punched in the gut because notice, notice verses five and six, God answers. And God says this, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe. Even if you were told, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. Now, once again, Habakkuk is living in this. He prays for this. And then God says, no, that's not how I'm going to work. I'm going to work by doing this. And Judah will be destroyed. It will be overwhelmed by those horrific people from Babylon. I I don't know how to draw a conclusion. Similar analogy. I mean, it would it would be almost like you praying for, you know, for for change in our country and and, and, and revival in our country, and all of a sudden God says, "Okay, I'm going to do that," but actually I'm going to work through ISIS. And you, I mean, and I mean, Habakkuk is floored. How can? What do you, what do you mean you're going to? You know, I know we're bad, but those people, and not surprisingly, then notice. I mean, Habakkuk. He goes after it here. And so God's answer leads to a second complaint, a second protest, which begins in verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute your judgment? You're you're gonna use them? You, my rock, have ordained them to punish? But God, your your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And notice notice his appeal is to God's character. God, this doesn't make sense to me. Look at who you are and you're gonna use those people? And of course, as I said, we're gonna see more fully how God responds to that. But notice really this this complaint ends. Chapter 2, verse (laughs) 1. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. And I think the language here suggests that Habakkuk is ready (laughs) for God to push back, but he wants to argue, he wants to engage, because it's just not making sense. Now, as you see him standing there on the wall, let me ask you just for a moment to stand with him. Feel what he feels. Feel the weight that he carries. He wants the best for his country and his people. We don't, we don't know if he has kids and family or any of that, but he, he wants the best for whoever is close to him. He, he wants his country to thrive and flourish. He wants them to be people who are responding as God's people in relationship with him. He wants to see people treated fairly and justly. He wants to see God at work. He wants to be a person of hope, but right now it seems like life won't let him. He wants to be positive about the future, but it seems the circumstances are getting in the way. Now, please pay attention to the things that he is experiencing as you stand with him on the wall, because the reality, there are circumstances in his life that drained him of hope, and the same kind of circumstances that were at work in his life can be at work in your, yours and mine as well. Let me, let me just, just briefly show you kind of four things that, that can drain us of hope. When we find ourselves saying these things in situations that cause us to say these things, these are situations, right, that can drain us of hope. When we find ourselves looking at something and going, you know what, this is wrong, this is unfair, this is unjust. And that's, that's where Habakkuk starts. He looks at his own culture and says this, you know, injustice is prevailing and, and people are taking advantage of other people. And, and just when you see things that are wrong and feel like no one is caring about it, no one is doing anything about it, that can be a situation that drains, just, drains us of hope. And then, of course, that leads him to say the system is broken. And in the opening part, it's not simply that he sees injustice and and things that are corrupt, it's, it's, it's the law's not working. The system isn't working. And if you find yourself in, you know, in a workplace environment, school environment, or the organizational environment where it just feels like the, the system isn't working, that can drain you of your sense of hope. I remember last year just watching someone in a large company kind of get caught up in the bureaucracy and get chewed up in the system, and you're, you're just like, Wow. This isn't right. And of course, that is coupled with the fact that I think Habakkuk Habakkuk remembers what it was like under Josiah. I mean, that just makes the pain more acute because you remember when it used to be better. And you find yourself saying, right, well, you know what? This used to be better. And those situations in life drain us of our hope. I, I remember when my relationship with my parents used to be better but now all we do is fight. I remember when my job used to be better, but now I have a different boss. I remember when my health was better. I remember when certain family dynamics were better. I remember when our country was better. Whenever you find yourself saying that line, whenever you find yourself in those situations, it's a situation that can drain you of hope. And finally, of course, Habakkuk is told it's not just that he feels like God's not working. It's, he, God is working, but he's going to work in some surprising ways and the bad people are going to win. Or at least appear to do so. And if you've ever been in that situation where, you know, you were up for that promotion and, and that other person got it and you felt like they, they, they did whatever they needed to do, even if it were to make ethical compromises to get it, and you're like, it just, this isn't fair. That shouldn't have happened to them. Whenever you find yourself in situations where you're saying things like these, this is wrong, the system is broken, it used to be better, bad people are winning, those are situations that will drain you of your hope and and you find yourself standing right next to Habakkuk asking questions like why and how long. So what are you to do? These are hope-draining realities. How do you find hope when the circumstances make it very hard? Well, that's really what we're going to unpack over the course of the next several weeks. So can you relate to this? Can you relate to Habakkuk's dilemma? So what do you do? Well, the first thing that I want you to know, and the notice from Habakkuk's life, it's, it's, it's just really simple. It's, he prays. And, and if we're going to find hope in hard places, I think that's what we have to do. We, We have to pray. And, of course, you're going, oh, of course I knew you were going to say that. But you know what? Everybody in the Bible prays, right? That's why they're in the Bible. Right? Come on there. You know, the people in the Bible, they always pray, blah, blah, blah. But here's what I want you to notice. It's not simply that Habakkuk prays. What you have to pay attention to, what you have to understand here, is not simply that he prays, but how he prays. And this is what you have to notice about Habakkuk. Habakkuk combines two dimensions of prayer that we really need to pay attention to because here, now, watch this. On the one hand, Habakkuk is, is willing to question God and ask, ask tough questions, right? He challenges God. He is bold. He is direct. And even the language he uses as he stands on this rampart is, you know, okay, God, Answer me, and I'm going to be ready for you. I mean, there's, there's a boldness here. It's, it's not a defiance, but it, it's, it's strong questioning and challenging. So on the one hand, Habakkuk is willing to do that. But on the other hand, Habakkuk is also pursuing God. He's seeking to engage God. He's expressing a certain kind of confidence in God. And it's, it's when we pray, bringing these elements together, that I think we are praying in a way that opens our lives up to hope, even when hope seems hard. Now, let, let's just look at these elements. First of all, notice, notice how he prays and notice, uh, notice his boldness, right? He, he's willing to ask God questions. How long, Lord? Why? Why? And, and what you're actually reading in this opening part of Habakkuk are examples of a, a type of prayer you find in the Bible. It's a type of a prayer described as a lament. And, and a lament is, is, is really, it's a, it's, it's, it's a prayer of protest offered by someone in distress seeking for God to act or intervene. And when you read the Psalms, you will actually discover that this kind of prayer is is more common in the Bible than than we sometimes realize. For instance, that that question, how long, O Lord, occurs almost 20 times in the Psalms. Now, let's be honest. We can find it um, awkward, difficult praying this way, right? It can seem uncomfortable or unnatural. After all, at various points in your life, you have been taught, right? Don't whine, don't complain. At some point, perhaps a parent looked at you and you had to have that conversation about, no, we eat what's in front of us. We don't complain about, right? The menu or the veggies, right? You probably heard that talk. Many of us have given that talk, right? You know, don't don't whine or complain. Of course, growing up in our family, we we didn't wanna whine or complain, but we didn't use certain code language. So if you heard the phrase, it's not my favorite, that means I never want to eat this again in my entire life. life, right? But we're not whining, we're not complaining, it's just not my favorite. And so we can find this kind of prayer hard or uncomfortable because culturally we've been taught not to, you know, don't, don't whine, don't complain. Furthermore, I think many of us in, in, in church circles, we get the idea that, well, if you, if you have faith in God, you never ask questions, right And unfortunately some of you feel have felt like you've been cut off in churches because you had some real questions about life about other things and you felt like we never really could ask the hard questions And it seems like well if you're asking questions that's not really a perspective of faith But what I want you to notice here is that Habakkuk's questions actually grow out of his understanding of God's character in other words, what Habakkuk is doing is saying this, okay, God, I know that you are just, but I see injustice all around me. I'm not sure how to make sense of this. God, I know you are holy and pure. How on earth then can you use horrific people like the Babylonians to achieve your purposes? And what we see in Habakkuk is that really the questions, the challenging it doesn't reflect a lack of faith. It, it actually flows out of faith. And this may seem, seem counterintuitive, but we have to acknowledge this truth. At times, if you take God seriously, you will question him seriously. Let me repeat that. At times, if you take God seriously, you will question him seriously. And that is is exactly what Habakkuk is doing. But notice, it's not as if he's simply complaining or challenging or questioning. He is also pursuing. Uh, Look again at verse 12 and, and notice the language here. He calls him Lord, my God, my Holy One. He uses personal language here. He uses the language that reflects the fact that God is in a covenant relationship with his people. I mean, this, is, this, this, this questioning is still flowing out of a certain sense of connection and pursuit and the and desire to know who God really is. Some have actually suggested that Habakkuk's name comes from a term that means both to wrestle and embrace. Now that's a debated point, but but what is clearly evident is that's exactly what Habakkuk is doing. He is wrestling with God. He is challenging God. He is raising questions that he has for God, but he's also seeking to embrace and pursue. And he does it together. And see, for you and me, one thing that can cause us to lose hope is to do one of these things without the other. So for instance, maybe I I hit a stressful situation at work and I start to have questions and it feels like I'm left all alone and I'm not sure where God is in this process. And so I, I start having questions. But the truth is I'm having questions and doubts and uncertainties, but I'm not really seeking to pursue God. And one of the clues that I'm questioning and challenging but not pursuing is this. When I think about God... He's always in the third person. That is, I'm, I'm over here and I'm, I'm questioning God. God, why have you allowed this new dynamic in my workplace? And, or, I'm, I'm questioning and, and I have these doubts, but in essence what I'm saying is, what is God doing? Why is this happening? But I never actually pray to him. I think about him only in the third person. Why is God allowing this? Why am I here? Can I trust Him at all? Does He really exist? And I let those I let those questions sit and grab hold, but I but I never actually take them to God in prayer. And notice Habakkuk; he's got the questions: Why? How long? But he's not just saying them about God; he's saying them to God. On the other hand, you know I can I can you know I grew up in church. You're supposed to pray to God and. And maybe I grew up with a sense of, well, you never ask questions, you never really challenge or express doubt or confusion because that's a lack of faith. So I'm going through this deal at work, and it's gotten complicated. I'm kind of wondering where God is in the process, but I never really express my heart to God, right? Because you're not supposed to you're not supposed to raise questions or challenge. And so I continue to pray, but over time, it it becomes more rote. It becomes more routine, mechanical, perfunctory, because I'm not really engaging God with what's going on on the inside. And see, here's what happens. If I find myself just questioning, or if I find myself just kind of praying, but I'm not actually honest with God about my questions, in both cases, over time, I will grow more distant from God, And in different ways, I will lose hope. But part of the reason I think Habakkuk is able to find hope in hard places, the fact that as he prays, he's willing to challenge and question and be honest with God, but he does so because he's pursuing God and he's wanting to have faith and trust. He's wanting to understand and rely on God's character. And as a result of that, Hope becomes a part of his life. Now, as we think about this, I think one of the really invitations of this book is to engage God this way. I think we're invited to engage God this way because he's at work I mean, he's at work around us. And see, this, this, is what, this is what Habakkuk was praying for, you know, God to be at work. But in praying for God to be at work, Habakkuk was also having to learn that, that God was going to work in ways he couldn't fully understand or imagine. And as we engage God in this way, this can be part of our learning process. So I think he, we're invited to pray this way because God really is at work and he invites us to pray. He invites us to enter into conversation with him. But I think we're also invited to pray this way because God wants to work within us. you see, one of the things that happens in Habakkuk's life, I think, is this. Right, he's wrestling with God and he's asking those hard questions and in the course of that, he's having to come to grips with the fact that God is going to be at work in ways he doesn't understand or fully imagine. But what this is ultimately doing in Habakkuk's life, this moment of continuing to pursue God in prayer and challenge God in prayer, even in hard places, what it is doing is it's deepening Habakkuk's relationship with God. And don't miss this. These can be those moments when growth takes place in our lives in ways we don't fully understand or imagine. So that we, you know, we get to the end of the book and, And Habakkuk says this right at the end of chapter 3, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. You get to the end and you realize something's been taking place. I mean, Habakkuk has been willing to pursue God and question God but seek to engage him. Something's been taking place in his life. I think we're invited to pray this way. And I think as you do, you will discover that you can experience hope in hard places. Now I realize this approach can be hard to take seriously. But one reason to pay attention to the message of this book is this. Centuries later, A follower of Jesus Christ that we know as Paul the Apostle would travel much of the ancient world taking the message of Christianity to new places, often stopping in synagogues and communicating the truth of Jesus Christ. And on one of these stops, as he was speaking in a synagogue, he actually quotes Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, which really talks about the idea that God is doing something new which can't be fully understood or that you wouldn't believe. And what Paul is saying is the ultimate example of God being at work in ways that we cannot understand is the work of the cross. I mean, by all normal points of evaluation, the the death of Christ looked like defeat and failure. It looked to be simply one more example of bad guys winning. One more example of the triumph of injustice. One more example of a system that was broken. Yet it was in fact the manifestation of God's power. The manifestation of God's power which made possible for those of us who believe to experience his forgiveness, his new life, his restoration. And you see, it's it's that work of the cross, that surprising work of the cross that now gives us the grace, the freedom, the confidence to engage God even in those moments when hope seems hard. To raise questions, but also to pursue, to say, I don't get this because here's what I understand of your character. But God, I want to continue down this journey with you because I've seen you work in surprising ways. And the ultimate example of that is the work of Christ on the cross. And when this becomes our experience, like the experience of Habakkuk, we can become people of hope, even people who experience and live in hope in hard places. Now we spent some time talking about prayer this morning and and in some ways I want to to wrap up just by giving you a little time to pray. I'm gonna invite our worship team to join me. And in a moment they will close us in our final song. But before they do that, I I, I just wanna ask you, because this is gonna be relevant to some of you in particular. Are there situations, circumstances in your life where you really feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm right there on the wall with Habakkuk. I'm right there on the wall with lots of questions, lots of unknowns. Maybe you'd say, and I have been praying, and it just, you know. I echo the words of Habakkuk, why, and how long? Why do you seem silent, God? And if that's where you're at, I just want to encourage you to pray like Habakkuk prayed, to be willing to be honest with God and to express your questions. Don't let the doubts simply cause you to walk away, but go after it, to express your concerns, your questions, your frustrations but to also do that with the confidence of who God is, with the confidence that he can be at work in ways we don't understand because we understand the work of the cross. I invite you to be willing to wrestle with but also embrace God. With that in mind, let me just give you a prayer. And if that's where you're at, I just encourage you in your own way to make this prayer your own. Father, I know that you are good. You are faithful over all things, even the hard, dark places of my life. How long, O Lord, will these hardships last? Help me lean into you and trust you even when I don't understand your ways. I give you whatever this is in an act of surrender to your will and your ways. Help me not back away from you in my times of struggle for you are a gracious God, abounding in love in my time of trouble. Hear my cry, heal my soul as I wait for you. Amen. Perhaps in some sense this morning, need to make that prayer your own let's pray together so father as we start our journey through the story of Habakkuk we see this guy who is challenged, he's confused he's frustrated and he's willing to bring that to you but in bringing that to you he's also pursuing you and seeking to embrace you because he has confidence in your character and Father, I pray that the work of Christ on the cross will give us that same freedom, grace, and confidence to pursue you in this way. In Jesus' name.